Welcome to the Reasoned Hope podcast. In this podcast, we explore the intellectual credibility of the Christian faith. We seek to show how the central hope found in Jesus Christ is not only rational, but that the Christian worldview makes sense of our experience, our deepest longings, and our intuitions about the world. Thanks for listening, and we hope today's episode is both encouraging and challenging to you, whether you are a believer or a skeptic. Christmas time is now past, but the importance of its message is not limited to December 25th. All year round, people are called to reflect on the eternal significance of God becoming incarnate in Jesus Christ over 2,000 years ago. The danger, in America at least, is that the cultural familiarity with Christianity provides a false sense of security and understanding with regards to the life and ministry of Jesus. Many are self-described Christians simply because they were raised in church or they prayed a prayer earlier in life. Still others call themselves Christians because many of their family members do so. However, these things fail to provide a foundation for a true commitment to Jesus and a true understanding of who he was and why he came. The Gospels of the New Testament provide the historical sources for the life and ministry of Jesus, and thus, those who desire to learn about what Jesus said and did should spend time investigating what they have to say. When one engages these accounts, many things will be said about Jesus, his early followers, and what significance Jesus has for our lives today. In this podcast, I want to focus on the beginning of the Gospel of John. This is found in John 1, 1 through 18, and is commonly referred to as John's prologue, since it serves as the introduction to his gospel. This text reveals that the coming of Jesus tells us much about who God is, who we are, and what kind of world we live in. Let's take a few minutes now to read this passage to aid our reflection on these truths. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, He gave them the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, 
the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Now, what does this passage tell us about who God is? Well, John begins his gospel by pointing his readers back to the book of Genesis. The first words of the book of Genesis are, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the first words here are, In the beginning was the Word. As the passage unfolds, we see that the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Later, in verse 14, it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that we observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is saying that Jesus Christ is the Word and that He is the Son of God. Jesus is fully God, and yet a distinct person from the Father. Jesus has always existed, and all reality was made through Him. The text says that all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. So, God is the creator and sustainer of all that exists. The God who became incarnate in Jesus Christ has always existed, and is the foundation for everything else. That includes you and me. Our every heartbeat and breath is sustained by his grace. All else are contingent realities. They did not have to exist and depend on something else for their existence. But God does not depend on anything outside of himself. In philosophical terms, this means he is a necessary being. Another important truth here is that since Jesus is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, it is through Jesus Christ that we are able to know God. John is very clear about this in verse 18 when he says, No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son who is himself God, and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. This is astonishing. It is through the person of Jesus that we can know who God is and what he is like. Jesus perfectly reveals the Father to those who want to know him. We see here that the God of the Bible is a seeking God. He is not a passive God who leaves humanity to their own devices, but a God who seeks after sinful and rebellious humanity to redeem them. This is a direct challenge to the position of agnosticism, which in its strong form says that we cannot know if there is a God or what that God may be like. And deism which says that God created the world, but is not involved with it in any direct way. The passage also says that in him was life. True life and wholeness are found in God himself, and it is this life which gives light to men. God's light shines in the darkness, and there is no darkness in him. These truths about God are so important for us to grasp. It means that God himself has stepped into human history in the person of Jesus Christ to provide abundant life 
for sinful humanity. God has taken the initiative with his light and truth to call us back to himself and out of our self-made darkness and sin. As the creator and sustainer of all that exists, God himself is the prime reality, and he alone is perfect in all that he does. Contrary to atheistic naturalism, our universe is not an accidental collocation of atoms with no overarching meaning or purpose. It is a universe infused with the purposes of a personal and loving creator, even though at present we see the realities of sin and evil. The Christian hope of redemption is that through Jesus Christ, God will make all things new. One day, the redemption of all things will be complete, and there will be no more sin and evil. But what does this passage tell us about who we are as human beings? Well, John says that Jesus came into the world he made, and yet the world did not recognize him. He goes further and says he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now, in context, John was writing about how Jesus, as a Jew, was not received by the majority of the Jews during his time. From the Gospels, we see that Jesus frequently had conflicts with the Pharisees and Sadducees, who were the Jewish religious leaders of the day. Now, this does not mean no Jews received Jesus' teaching and believed in him as the Messiah, as there are examples of people such as Joseph of Arimathea and possibly Nicodemus who did. But it does mean there was resistance to his message and what he came to accomplish. Many people, however, responded to Jesus, and John characterizes this as receiving Jesus in this passage. He says, But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. So, when it comes to Jesus, human beings have a choice. Will we be those who receive Jesus, or will we be those who do not receive him? According to John, to receive Jesus results in one becoming a child of God. By implication, this means that those who do not receive Jesus are not children of God. John says this change in identity does not happen by mere human will, nor does it result from being a member of a certain ethnicity. Many Jews in Jesus' day thought they were right before God simply because they were Jews. But John is here correcting this notion. To receive Jesus and become a child of God is a gift of God and the result of an inward change. Later in John's Gospel, in chapter 3 to be specific, Jesus explains that one must be born again if they are to enter God's kingdom. From Greek, the phrase born again means born from above. The message is clear. To truly receive Jesus into one's life and undergo this remarkable change is a gift from God. Now, what does this mean for us today? Well, at the very least, it should get us thinking about where we stand with Jesus. Do we have any interest at all in him? Do we care to know who he really is? Jesus himself said that the eternal destiny of each person depends on how they respond to him. In John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he tells them plainly, 
You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. What does this mean? To die in your sins, you must be sinful. Jesus is assuming that people are not basically good in themselves. From the Bible's perspective, human beings are unique as those made in God's image. We have the wonderful capacity to relate to and know God and to further His good purposes in the world. However, because we are sinful, we live for ourselves instead. We do not seek God or even want Him. We use the gifts and talents and resources He has so mercifully provided to further our own ends. We do things which are evil, and this is evident in both our actions and our hearts. And frequently, people will admit that no one is perfect and that to err is human. And while this is certainly true, most do not realize the true implications of this. The truth is, we are lost without God, and we are in desperate need of His mercy and forgiveness. To be clear, the Bible's teaching on sin does not mean people cannot do good things. Rather, it means that when we are compared to God's standard of perfection in thought, in word, in deed, all of us fall short. In John chapter 3, we get a very clear message about our situation and what God has done to redeem us. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. John three sixteen through 21 Admittedly, these are hard truths to hear about ourselves. But dealing with truth is not always easy for us because we do not always want things to be the way they are. Reality does not bend to human desires. If we are committed to following truth, we must be willing to hear things which are difficult and to wrestle with them. The Bible's teaching on human sin and our situation left to ourselves is difficult. But it makes sense of what we know about ourselves and the world we live in. We all know something is broken within us and with the world. The question then is, what best explains this? And where is the true solution for this found? The Bible's answer is that Jesus came to set us free from our sin, to seek and to save those who are lost. What kind of beings are we then? We are those made in God's image, originally created for relationship with Him, and to work for His good and perfect purposes in the universe He made. But we have fallen into sin, 
and are under his judgment unless he provides a way of redemption. In Jesus Christ, we have all God's mercy, who took the punishment we deserve for our sins upon himself. Jesus lived the perfect life that you or I could never live, and he satisfied God's standard of perfection. He suffered under the Father's wrath while on the cross and experienced hell for us. He then died and rose again on the third day, demonstrating that he is who he claimed to be and overcoming sin and death. God's offer of pardon for your sins is free, but it has come at a great cost. He is inviting you to receive his mercy and to put your trust in Jesus, making him the Lord of your life. To receive Jesus is not reducible then to a one-time prayer or a mere intellectual assent to who he is. It does not happen simply because you were raised in church or your family calls themselves Christians. It involves a recognition of one's own sinfulness and a change of mind and allegiance. You change from living for yourself to now living for him. You put all your hope and trust in him instead of yourself. You seek him in prayer and in the Bible. This kind of reception of Jesus changes you from the inside out, and it is what all of us so desperately need. But what kind of world do we live in, based on this passage? It is important to see that the coming of Jesus says just as much about our world as it does about ourselves. We live in a universe that is broken and has been deeply affected by the fall of humanity into sin. In many ways, the universe is alienated from its creator, just as we are left to ourselves. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says this, For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Romans eight nineteen through 22 What does this mean? Well, it says that we can see the effects of sin on the natural world. From a purely human standpoint, there are times when the universe seems pointless and cruel. Natural disasters happen, and the endless cycles of the natural world seem monotonous and like they are leading nowhere. A parallel experience can be the grind of the work week in which many find themselves wondering at times what the point of it all really is. There is a brokenness to the world that is going to give way to a glorious redemption when God makes all things new at the end of history. You see, the Christian vision of redemption is not simply about getting out of hell or going to heaven when a person dies. God's plan of redemption will result in the entire cosmos being renewed. All evil and all sin will be removed and everything will be perfect. God will dwell directly with those who are his children in perfect fellowship and love. His people will live on a renewed earth and will have a glorious eternity engaged in purposeful work and loving relationships with him and with each other. This is what Paul is referring to in Romans 8. 
At the end of the Bible, in Revelation 21, we get another peek into where everything is headed for those who know Jesus. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. Revelation 21, 1-5 Thus, the hope found in the coming of Jesus and what he accomplished for those who put their lives in his hands is profoundly deep and rich. Human beings in the universe we inhabit are sinful and broken, left to ourselves. But Jesus provides true hope and forgiveness that can never be taken away. He does not promise that following him is easy, and those who do so should count the cost. But his way is the way of true truth, true joy, and true life.